Well, amen. I would invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word and turn to John 20, John 20, verses 24 through 29. John 20, verses 24 through 29, as we speak this morning about the apostle or the disciple Thomas, most famously remembered for the nickname that goes in front of him. He is Doubting Thomas. Interesting, he did have another nickname, and we're going to see it in the text this morning. But church history has remembered Thomas as Doubting Thomas. Unfair, really, because uh, Thomas had a moment of doubt. Thomas is later believed, according to church history, to have taken the gospel to India. And as one of the, the, the first you know, the tip of the spear, so to speak, of gospel impact in that part of the world and ultimately gave his life for the cause of the kingdom. But it's kind of like he never got to live that down. For instance, are we going to be in heaven? And says, oh, look, he's doubting Thomas. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, I don't know why the New Testament always calls Rahab the harlot, Rahab the harlot. It's like, could that woman never live that down? Like, even in the you know, the, the hall of fame of faith that's like, and Rahab the harlot. It's like, goodness gracious. But when we see her in heaven, I'm sure it's just going to be there's Rahab. But anyway, I want to talk to you this morning about why you got to be that guy. Why you got to be that guy. This is slang. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Man, what? why do you got to be that guy? And if, if you don't know anybody that is that guy, you probably are that guy. Uh, the, the first time I ever heard this, this slang, I, I remember I, w- I was young, just in college, and we went out with some friends, and anyway, we're, we were all eating, and uh, a buddy of ours ordered this big steak and stuff like that, and, you know, it was an expensive meal, and we're all college students, we don't have any money, and then, of course, he gets to the end, he's like, oh, guys, I forgot my wallet, and I remember a buddy, another buddy said, Adam, why you gotta be that guy? I mean, come on. What do you mean you forgot your wallet? It was the first time. And it wasn't Adam. I changed it to protect the guilty. But, um, but the point is, is that we all know that guy. It's the guy that goes either too much or too little. He's the guy when you're playing pickup basketball in the front yard that's like, technical foul. What are you talking about, technical foul? Or the guy that's just not going far enough. Um, for, for instance, if you want to know who that guy is, watch... Um, people who frequent the television on any news service that cover politics. I don't mean this about all politicians. There's some good ones, several good ones here in our church. But I'm talking about the people that just go way too far, the people that caricature the other side as if they are Satan themselves. Or, for, for instance, they caricature to make a point. It's like, come on, why do you got to be that guy? Everybody knows that guy, and unfortunately... We treat Thomas like he's that guy. Here we have it. Jesus has risen from the dead. The 11 have seen him alive. Everything's exciting. And then we're going to see today, Thomas says, well, I don't believe. Come on, Thomas. What do you mean you don't believe? Why you got to be that guy? That's unfortunately how we feel about him and why we call him Doubting Thomas. But our main statement is this. Thomas was that guy. And we're going to thank God for it, and I think you're going to see that today. But let's look in the Word of God this morning. I'm reading today from the 
English Standard Version. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called twin, or Didymus, if you, you know, you can read that there. But, so, was he a twin? Did he look like somebody that they knew? We have no idea. Was it just a nickname? Because, you know, maybe he was a big guy, and you know, I, I don't know. But he was called twin. So, anyway, Thomas called twin was not with them when Jesus came. Now, before I read, do you remember when Jesus came to the disciples? On the evening of the first Easter. We looked at that last week. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, which would be what? If this took place on Easter Sunday, when they first had their visitation, eight days later is what? The first Sunday after Easter. Okay. His disciples were inside again, gathering on Sunday for church, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. By the way, I need to pause here. I just love that the first Sunday that the church ever celebrated after Easter, Jesus showed up, and may he continue to do so. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Or as other translations say, be not faithless, but believing. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Okay, let's talk about Thomas this morning. Thomas was that guy, and we should thank God for it. This is not the first that we've read of Thomas. In fact, our first principle, if you'd like to follow along and fill in the blanks in the bulletin, you can do so. If not, no big deal. You listen as you feel most comfortable. Thomas was a man who asked questions and sought answers, and he felt the moment. Thomas was a man who asked questions and sought answers, and he felt the moment. I think it's fair to say Thomas was a man of passion. In John 11, verses 11 through 16, we read about the first time that Thomas spoke and used words in the story. This was just prior to the resurrection of Lazarus, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. In John 11, 11 through 16, will be on the screen, it says, After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. 
Isn't that interesting? Thinking that this guy was asleep and we've got to go across the countryside to wake him up. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us go, let, let us also go that we may die with him. Man, that is a man of passion. He feels big, obviously. Jesus is friends with Lazarus. Thomas is friends with Lazarus too. If my friends are dead, let's just go die with them. It's not any point in living without Lazarus. Thomas felt the moment and he cares big. Also, the only other time that Thomas speaks outside of our main text this morning, because the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have no record of any conversation Thomas utters, only calls him by name in lists of the apostles. In John 14, 1 through 6, Jesus, you know this section of scripture, if you've just driven close to a church or passed it by in the last 50 years, you've heard this passage. Let not your hearts be troubled, Believe in God, believe also in me, and my Father's house are many rooms, or as you likely heard it growing up, or many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. Here's our guy. We do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How many of you have been blessed by John 14, 6 at some point in your life that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by him? I think all of us here in this room. Do you know the only reason Jesus said that is because Thomas asked a question? It was in response to Thomas's question that we get one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible. In fact, later, Christianity, we find in the book of Acts, was likely gleaned its name from J Jesus in speaking this truth of this verse when Christianity was called the way. Jesus is the way to God. He's the way of truth and life. So what do we see here? Well, first is Thomas could not compartmentalize his faith. Thomas could not compartmentalize his faith. We see here um, that uh, Thomas was not okay with questions. Uh, he's the guy in Bible study that, that can't let it go. Like he can't, he can't leave something unanswered. It's like, hey, I, I'm just struggling. I, I, just another question here. Like you're saying that, we're, you know, we're, we're going to follow you and, you know, we're going to figure this out. But we don't know where you're going. All right. Those are honest questions. Couldn't compartmentalize his faith. It wasn't a Sunday thing for Thomas. Faith was not just something you turned on in the moments you were supposed to turn it on and then turn it off and go about the rest of your life. Thomas was all or nothing. We see his passion when he says, goodness, let's just go die with Lazarus. Thomas could not compartmentalize his faith. He was all or nothing. Also, Thomas wanted clear answers for his questions. Thomas wanted clear answers for his questions, as we see here in John 14. 
And also, looking again in John 20 today, Thomas wanted his questions answered. And before we come too hard on that guy, how many of us want clear answers to our questions? Also, Thomas wanted concrete evidence for his doubts. Concrete evidence for his doubts. For instance, put yourself in Thomas's shoes. He has just witnessed from afar, whether he saw it from afar because all the disciples fled, or he only heard about it, the horrific death of Jesus on a Roman cross and that he had been buried behind likely a two to four ton stone and he has been put in the ground. And now Thomas shows up to see his friends and everybody is like, hey, the Lord is alive. We saw him. What would you think if you had a friend or relative die and you went to their funeral service, then you went to the graveside and then you went to the graveside later and saw that the grave diggers had placed the body in the ground and covered up the grave and then everybody else goes on with their lives and then about a week later your friends say hey don't you know Bob's alive he came and he visited us it's amazing what would you think you would think substance abuse on all of y'all what is wrong with you you're absolutely out of your mind. If you and I were in this situation, wouldn't we be like Thomas? He has just seen this stuff. He, Jesus was likely his best friend. Thomas is a man of passion, and he has just seen this man that he's loved and followed and forsaken everything for put in the ground after a gruesome death. And now his friends say, no, it's great. He's alive. Okay, what do you mean he's alive? We were just in the room, and he appeared. Oh, okay. Wow. Wow. We really are off our rocker here. Thomas is probably doing what any of us would do in any given situation that was similar. We look at it now and say, man, doubting Thomas, get with the program but we know the rest of the story. They don't even fully understand who Jesus is and is apparent by the first or what Jesus' mission is going to be. They understand who he is at this point. But what his mission is going to be that's apparent in the first chapter of the Acts of the early church when they ask him if at this time Jesus is going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And he says, no, it's not for you to know the time nor the seasons. The Father has set by his own authority. They don't fully understand who he is. We have to give Thomas a mulligan here because he's only asking what any of us would ask. It's interesting, this week, as I was looking over commentaries of people much smarter than me, everybody seems to call Thomas a pessimist. And the text never calls him a pessimist, but it seems, and I think it's drawing mostly from John 11 in the case in the story of Lazarus when they find out that Lazarus is dead and Thomas is like, let's just all go die with him. Maybe so. Maybe Thomas is that guy that always thinks of the worst possible situation and scenario to any given moment. 
Like he's the guy when it starts to sprinkle outside. Like, Y'all be careful out there. Don't get struck by lightning. Okay, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be careful. Maybe he was a pessimist. Um, but here's what I want to get at. Because, by the way, if you're an optimist, let's just, just be real. Pessimists are annoying, aren't they? And if you're a pessimist, optimists are annoying. What do you mean you're being so positive? The world is broken and falling apart. Embrace proper theology. This world is bad. As an optimist, I would say, well, Jesus overcome the world. It's going to be all right. That's what I tell myself every time I put gas in my truck. <laughs> it's going to be all right. Yeah. $7 a gallon. No big deal. I'll donate a kidney. All right. So. But anyway, here's what I want you to get at. Some, for those of you who are optimists, you're just annoyed by pessimists. And those of you who are pessimists, you already love Thomas all the more. You're like, I knew I liked that man. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus chose Thomas. He chose Thomas. He wanted Thomas to be one of his disciples. And I think this is what's so beautiful about the early disciples and all of their character flaws. Jesus chose them. Not based on who they were, but based on what he wanted them to be. And this is the pattern of the whole Bible. When Jesus chose Abraham as the nation that God was going to bless the whole world through, and then Moses reiterates this later in saying, listen, this, it's not because we were better or greater than all the other peoples or stronger. In fact, we were least among them. God did not choose us for any reason other than God just wanted to choose us. Because God's God and we are not. Listen to John 6, 70. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. Jesus chose each of them. Thomas is the 12. Also, John, not just John 6, 70, but John 15, 16. John 15, 16. Um, interesting, we frequently apply this verse to our lives, but Jesus is saying this verse to the disciples and the apostles. Uh, and I guess there's principles that are true here, but this is a truth for the disciples. You did not choose me. He's speaking of him choosing them as disciples, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. He's reiterating, all 12 of you, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Jesus chose Thomas. So what does this mean? Jesus called Thomas and knew from the beginning that he would doubt. Jesus chose Thomas and knew from the beginning that he would doubt. We understand from the Bible that those of us who belong to Christ are chosen to be used by God. That is abundantly clear, especially in Ephesians 1. We've been chosen to be vessels for him, especially Romans 9 through 11, making it clear. God chooses us for purposes and reasons for his own glory. So Jesus called Thomas and knew from the beginning that he would doubt. So by the way, if you drop the ball and have a major blunder, you remember Thomas. You remember that Jesus chose to use you even when he knew in advance you were going to drop 
the ball. There's story after story in the Bible of significant characters making significant errors. And nonetheless, Jesus chose to use them. This is so abundantly displayed in the Old Testament in the story of the golden calf. The story of the golden calf. I was looking at some, it's, I'm going to butcher this quote. You're going to have to just bear with me because I wasn't planning on saying this. But I was looking at some resources on the golden calf on a Jewish commentator, a rabbi. And it was a percentage. He was saying like one-eighth of all of the trouble in the world in tribulation to this day. And he put like a percentage on it. It was like one-eighth of all the tribulation in the world that is experienced to this day is the direct result of building of the golden calf in the desert. It's like, man, like one-eighth of the trouble. It's like for every one of eight arguments that you have with your spouse, it's that golden calf that did it, right? But anyway, that was just the, the way Jews thought about the horrendous episode of the golden calf. Do you remember who built the golden calf? Somebody, I know somebody reads their Bible. Aaron, and who was Aaron? Moses' brother, but what was his job? The high priest. Hmm. And then they proceeded, proceeded after that to have this uh, drunken orgy. The Bible uses that word. I'm not trying to be crude. Um, in front of the thing. That's bad. That's real bad. Moses comes off the mountain, grinds up the calf, makes him drink it, and then they stone his brother, right? For building the golden calf. Or they say, well, Aaron, you're never going to preach again. For sure. You can sit down. You ain't going to serve as a deacon either. Just forget about it. It's over for you. Is that what they say? Do you know the next time Aaron opens his mouth in the story is number six? Number six. The next time Aaron is told to say something directly after the golden calf is when he is instructed by the Lord through Moses, go tell the people, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Wait, that guy? Don't tell me God's not a God of restoration. God's not a God of a whole lot of grace. We look at these characters and we point out their flaws and think, well, they're not going to be used anymore. No, friends, God, when God chose them, God already knew what was going to happen. And Jesus chose Thomas, just like he chose Aaron, just like he chose you and me, for his glory. Jesus chose Thomas for his glory. And there's one that goes right along with this. Jesus chose Thomas for you and for me. How did he choose him for you and me? Well, I want you to look back in your copy of the Lord's Word, or you can just look on the screen. This will be next week's sermon. I've been waiting all the book of John to preach on these next two verses. In fact, I've mentioned them all through the series. In fact, Dr. Lee Walker, he's one of my Sunday school teachers, he and Dr. Russ Johnson rotate. Lee was talking to me last week, and he said, man, I really enjoyed going slow through John. I said, well, I'm grateful, because it's been slow. And uh, I said, I've really enjoyed it. He said, what are you going to do next? I said, well, 
I said, I, I, I've got some things in my mind and stuff like that. I, I've got a plan. I said, but you know what? If I could just do anything, I think I would do John all over again. Because now I understand it so much better, and I feel like we need to go back and tie in. Yeah, he's like, I could tell in his face. It was like, oh, my. <laughs> it only took you three years. All right. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. But I, I don't know. Well, yeah, we're not going to do that. All right. John 20, 30 through 31. Notice what John says. This is the purpose for writing of the whole book. And where does this statement fall? Right after Thomas. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Notice, this falls right after Jesus gave Thomas the sign. Put your finger here. Put your finger here. And we have little sections and chapter dividers and paragraph dividers that separate the text. No such thing in the New Testament. It's right there in the text. Right after Thomas, John, who is presumably the author of this book, maybe, we'll talk about that in a few weeks. But John, who's presumably the author of this book, says, and you know what? Jesus did a lot of other signs. In the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Why did Jesus pick Thomas? Well, only Jesus can answer that completely, but we see a glimpse this morning because he knew Thomas would need a sign and he knew that some of us would need Thomas's sign to help us believe. You see, when we look at this story of how Jesus chose Thomas for you and me, some of us are more skeptical by nature. We're more cynical by nature. You, you know this, I know it, you know it. Some of us just struggle. And does this not further authenticate the story? That the man who always had questions, who never compartmentalized his faith, who just a week prior said, I will never believe unless I put my finger here and my hand here, that he is the one who has the most grand declaration of who Jesus is in verse 28 after Jesus shows up. I wonder what that was like. We don't have it here but I wonder if when Jesus appeared in that first church service after Easter and he appeared and all the disciples are there and Thomas is there, I wonder if Jesus was, you know, looking straight at Thomas, looking at him. Or was he doing, you know, the preacher thing, glossing over and just kind of panning the crowd? I, I don't know. I wonder if he said something like, hey, Thomas. I don't know. We weren't there. But I can guarantee you there is something that I am sure was in Thomas because he's human. It was like, oh, it's Jesus. Oh, it's Jesus. Okay. Jesus appears to Thomas. And he shows Thomas exactly what he needed. Which brings me to the final thing. Before we're too hard on Thomas, here's what's amazing to me. Jesus, Tom, Jesus knew what Thomas needed. Thomas genuinely loved the Lord. He had just been really hurt 
because he had just seen Jesus crucified. His faith has been shattered. He's struggling to believe. And he said, listen, I'm not going to believe unless I see these things happen. And Jesus does exactly what Thomas needs. Exactly what Thomas needs. Further confirming, you take one step towards God, he's already taken a hundred towards you. Jesus gave Thomas exactly what he needed. So here's what I believe. I believe that Jesus is still showing up in church services all over the world. And I believe that there are that guys in every place, and everybody can be that guy, me, you, that girl, whatever. We can all be this person, and I want you to see Thomas, St. Thomas, the apostle, had doubts and struggled, and he just wasn't sure because he'd just been to a funeral for his friend. He'd just been to the graveside, and he just had questions. Why did it happen this way? And, and now he's dealing with others who some seemingly can believe so easily, but not Thomas. And Jesus gave Thomas exactly, exactly what Thomas needed. For those of you who are struggling to believe, whether you belong to Jesus or not, I believe with all of my heart, you reach out to him. And he is already reaching out towards you, but he will reach out to you. If you reach out to him in honest faith and say, Lord, help me, he will. My favorite prayer, and I pray it at least five times a day, sometimes more than that, is two words. I say this prayer, I've said this prayer more than any prayer in my whole life. And it's two words. God, help. God, help. Sometimes that's all I can think to say. Because I don't even know how to dissect or decipher what's even going on. And just, God, help. And guess what? When he does, you look back with hindsight and you have a moment like Thomas when you see, wow, God, you really did help. And you have this moment where like Thomas you say, man, my Lord and my God. I'll close with this statement. And y'all, I finished eight minutes early. Mm. But anyway, somebody asked me here lately, uh, they, they said, man, Brother Matt, um, it was a friend of mine here in town. Said, Brother Matt, your life has been really hard. And I said, well, thanks. Uh, and it has. Um, but it's not all been bad. I just celebrated 17 years of marriage with my beautiful wife yesterday. It was wonderful. Um, it's not all been bad. And he said, do you feel blessed? Here's my answer. I do. Oh, my goodness, I do. And let me tell you why. Because when it gets hard and it gets difficult and it gets dark, the light shines all the brighter. And you see God come through in ways. And you get to share with Thomas that moment of realizing that the God who somehow swung that Milky Way galaxy into being takes time to intervene in your life to deal with your doubts and fears. And over time, as Henry Blackaby says, 
We come to know God by experience. And then when people say, I just don't think he's there, you say, I don't know, man. I've been through far too much, and I've seen him do far too much for me, for me to think that he's not there. My Lord and my God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you love us and you care for us. Lord, I thank you for doubting Thomas. Lord, I thank you that he asked questions that we would all ask and further authenticating the truth that even the skeptics of the resurrection ended up believing. Lord, we thank you for that truth. Lord, I pray for my friends here today. You would touch them at their point of need. For it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen and amen.